Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. I'm here in our online studio with Patrick Miller. We're going to be talking today about video games and video game culture and how do we engage uh, thinking theologically about just the reality of of video games, of uh, virtual life, and how do we minister to students who are uh, sometimes consumed by their video game? Uh, so Patrick is joining us today. He's the pastor at The Crossing. Uh, he hosts a podcast called Truth Over Tribe and is the co-author of a book by the same name. He's married to Emily and they have two kids. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me today. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So um, this conversation was spurred on by an article that you wrote. Uh, for Christ and Pop Culture uh, about theology of video games um, that we were talking briefly about before we uh, clicked record. Um, and so that was a, a really thoughtful piece. Uh, we're going to link to it in the show notes. And uh, one of the things I loved about that is when you hear pastors and theologians and scholars, right, smart Christians talk about video games, it's almost always very condescending <laughs> yes right and and critical um so yeah i really appreciated that piece and, and i'm excited to talk with you uh a little bit so before we before we dive into the meat and potatoes uh of the conversation i'm curious to hear from you uh clearly you have an affection for video games what was your favorite video game growing up <laughs> I, i'm sure i had lots of favorite video games you know, as a kid, I, I didn't see video games as art. That's something I've come to later yeah. on in life. Uh, I saw them as fun. And there was nothing yeah. more fun to me than hopping onto, you know, the original Nintendo and playing Mario. And I had no idea the amount of intentionality and crafting that had come yeah. into making that little uh, piece of pixel art uh, controllable and yet slightly slippery. And, and all the work that had been done to uh, create these levels that were designed to step by step add in new challenges and train you to uh, play with a higher level of mastery. Uh, but it was fun because that that's really at the core of, of all fun is the ability not to enter into randomness. This is why adults hate playing games like war. Uh, it, there's, there's no strategy to it. There's nothing yeah. to master in war. Yeah. But we enjoy playing games like Monopoly or football or whatever game you per prefer because there's right. the possibility of mastery. There's the ability to learn, to conquer. And, and I think that it's something innate in the human experience, the desire to master things, to, uh, to, to, to play with them. And, you know, and even the idea of recreation itself, I always think about it as recreation. It's taking the raw materials that God has given us in the world and reformatting them, recalibrating them into new possibilities. And games are just maybe the latest way that humans have found to play with the world that God has made. And so, you know, my, my original favorite was probably Mario, but as I aged, you know, my, my preferences in games uh, matured yeah. as well. Probably the most influential game on my life was uh, when I was in seventh grade, I played a game called Final Fantasy VII. Oh, and man. I was, I was a loner. I was a dweeb, which is probably why I was playing that game to begin with. And yeah. it's the story of a lot of loners, a, a lot of people who feel out of place, suddenly finding their place, not just in the cosmic story to save the world, but in a very localized story about friends coming together to change the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I desperately wanted that kind of friendship in my life. And there was something that it tapped into um, beyond just the fun of playing the game itself. 
that taps into my story and my experience. And that was the first time I ever played a game where I had real emotions, um, where I found myself connecting with characters in the same way I do when I read books. You know, C.S. Lewis famously said, uh, when you uh, read a book, you become uh, a thousand men in one. And the same thing happens when we play games. And so a lot of my work on games since then has been taking uh, much of my thought about the arts. I was an English major. I love stories. And trying to reapply it to video games because Christians have thought well about recreation. We have thought well about art. We have simply failed to apply that sort of thinking to what is now by far, at least in terms of revenue, the largest art form in the world. Okay. All right. So let's, let's dig into that. So that's a big statement. Um, I, um, what do you mean by saying video games are the largest art form in the world? That, well, that can be surprising to some people who haven't heard this before. I, 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 I think that's a difficult thing to measure. So, of course, yeah. you can measure how much time people play video games. Mm-hmm. And again, it's going to be the largest art form in, in that perspective. How many people play video games? Again, it's significant. But I'm, I'm yep. thinking specifically about revenue. So uh, if I had to ask you, you know, how much uh, did, the global, d- did the global movie production and distribution industry make in 2021? Uh, you would, if you wanted to get the right answer, say $76 billion. But in that same year, video games over doubled that one hundred and eighty yeah, billion dollars spent it? on video games. And so this tells you that people are not just passionate about video games, but they're spending a tremendous amount of money on video games. Mm-hmm. And so at least in terms of revenue, which, again, there's many different ways of measuring what, what yep. makes a, a large pervasive art form. But at least in terms of revenue, it is by and large the largest entertainment revenue generator in the world. Mm hmm. So why do we neglect that? <laughs> I think there's a number of reasons. I, I've actually come to the conclusion that much of this is generational. Uh, so back in 2011, Mark Driscoll, who you know few people like now, but back in 2011, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people liked Mark Driscoll. Yeah. He, he had this rather infamous rant about video games. And he argues that video games aren't sinful. They're just stupid. And I, I think that's <laughs> a uniquely Gen X perspective. And yeah. I think it's rooted in so several cynical. myths. <laughs> well, yes, it's cynical. But I think it's rooted in several myths that, that came out of their experience. The first is that when uh, video game consoles were released in the mid-80s up through the early 90s, you know, Gen X was uh, slightly older than the market that companies like Nintendo were targeting. They were trying to make a uh, edge in the toy market, and so they were yep. targeting their products towards children. And so now you've got a bunch of Gen Xers watching Beavis and Butthead seeing their little brothers playing Super Mario. And, and, and it's no shock that they think that Mario is puerile, that it's kiddie stuff. And that same attitude of the childish, the, yeah. the childishness of video games continues right. to pervade their thinking as they get older. This is just for kids because that's what it was when video games uh, first began, at least from their perspective. But I think yeah. another thing that happened to a lot of Gen Xers is that by the time they reached adulthood in 1999, uh, the Columbine shootings happened. And there were many people, uh, especially in the gun lobby, interestingly, but Democrats as well, who argued that the reason why these shooters did what they did was because they were playing video Mm -hmm. games. Uh, One of the leaders uh, against video games, a Democrat named Joe Lieberman, uh, rather famously said that the that the Columbine shooters had played a murder simulator called Doom and dressed like the main character. Uh, the problem with that claim was that they had not dressed like the main character. They'd actually dressed like Neo from the Matrix. And the game, while there is killing in it, is killing demons on Mars. It's not uh, killing humans inside of schools or in any other circumstance. No. But that particular yeah. mythology, that games are not only childish, but that they create in us this kind of pervasive mental unhealth yeah. that leads people towards violence, 
Um, it's been it's been proven to be false. It, uh, video games do not lead to violence, and so I think that's another thing. I, th- I think the last thing for Gen X in particular is that they've just watched their kids get addicted to video games. And I won't call this one a myth because there actually are a right. lot of studies oh, yeah. that show that video games yeah. are highly, highly addictive. And so what do you do when you're watching your son spending hours playing, you know, a Call of Duty or Modern Warfare, or, you know, Halo, World of Warcraft, whatever it is that they yeah. are interested in, and they're losing their interest in uh, sports, relationships, school, things that you would probably rightfully say are more important for their yeah. long-term development. And so you take those three things together, the myth of childishness, and the myth of uh, video games creating violence. And then add into it the truth that video games can be highly addictive. It's no shocker that you end up with Mark Driscoll saying video games aren't sinful. They're just stupid. And I think for people who did not grow up playing video games or maybe had bad experiences because they became addicted to video games themselves. Again, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for why our gut level reaction is get these out of the house, get these out of my kids' hands. They're ruining people's lives. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's... Here's one uh, clarifying question, right? So when we yeah. think about video games, we often th- think right, primarily about gaming consoles, right? I think about PlayStation, mm-hmm. think about Nintendo, think about Xbox. Um, a lot of gaming, right, is over the computer. And a lot of it's taking place on phones, right? Yes. So this might be a controversial question um, in, in geek culture, right? Is do, do mobile games count as video gaming? Uh, so just for, in terms of definitions, right? So not do like are are these equal things, right? That there's a qualitative difference between a a gamer who plays on their computer, then it's like a hardcore gaming computer, and someone who just wastes a bunch of time playing, you know, uh, Bejeweled or or whatever <laughs> on their on their phone. Yeah. Um, but in the the financial reporting and the gaming video gaming statistics, those include mobile gaming as well, yes. right? Yes. So can you it's talk weird. a little bit about mobile gaming? Yeah. M- mobile gaming is a, is a huge proportion of that revenue. I mean, if you stop and think about it, to have access to a console, much less a computer, you have to have a certain level of means. Uh, it, most mm-hmm. people, however, do have access to smartphones. So it's no shocker that a huge portion of gaming takes place on phones. Um, now, to the question of whether or not it's a video game, uh, I, I would say yes, of course it is. If, if I had to define a video game, and this is a, a little bit tricky, I, I would simply say that it's um, any uh, audio-visual experience where there's a interactive feedback loop between the player and the screen, right? So okay. there's something happening. I'm not just watching a movie. It's not just me intaking yep. something from the screen. Yep. There has to be some sort of feedback loop. I'm yeah. putting an in input, and that's changing the game world that I'm experiencing. And so that'd yeah. be the case, like you said, with a game like Bejeweled, and it would be the case uh, with a console game or a PC game. I think yeah. the real distinction we need to make in video games is uh, the distinction between games that are uh, designed to uh, tell stories and, of course, create fun, and games that are designed to be highly addictive uh, right. by, by creating uh, basically uh, gaming feedback loops uh, yeah. that are highly variable. Um, in other yeah. words, they're a lot like casinos. Like the the draw, I don't mm-hmm. particularly have this draw, but the draw for people to go into a casino and play something like a slot machine is not the real possibility that they're going to win. It's that when I press the button, there's a chance that I could lose big. There's also a chance I could win big, or there's a chance I could win small or lose yeah. small. 
And that randomized possibility, that feedback loop, that's actually what creates addiction. And by the way, this is how social media has been designed as well. There's all kinds of things in our lives that use this variable reward system because there's something about the human mind that when we know what we're going to get, it becomes boring. But when we don't know what we're going to get, we want to come back to see if we can get something better. And so we have a huge number of games, both on mobile and on consoles and on PCs that play into that variable feedback loop. They're they're trying Mm -hmm. to get you to ask the question, what what could happen next time? What could I get next time? What rewards can I gain? And so that to me is by far the the, the most important distinction when we start thinking about video games, as opposed to where am I playing the game? Right, yeah. So uh, I just think it's helpful to to clarify for some people who are listening, like, I'm not a gamer, you know, I don't do that. And yet they, if they looked at their screen time recording, you're spending like two or three hours a day on your phone, just literally just wasting time. Yeah. Well, and and you would even, and you would even say you're I'm just, I'm just wasting time on my iPad or on my phone. Like, it's like, okay, technically according to those guys, like you are a gamer, like how many moms um, of, of teenagers <laughs> who like rage against their kids playing video games X number of hours a day also spend the same amount of time per day on video games. They just don't consider that the same, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, our social media apps really, if you take my rather expansive definition yeah. of video yeah. games, there is a way in which, at least yeah. in the Venn diagram, there's overlap between something like Instagram and a video game. Yeah. Because yeah. Instagram, what's happening? I post this picture or I post yep. this reel and I'm waiting for the variable reward. People commenting, people liking, people engaging with what I'm doing. And that's the reason why I keep going back to the app to check to see are there mm-hmm. any notifications? Has anybody engaged with what yeah. I've done? But there's also the random aspect, which is interactive of me searching for things or scrolling actively through things to see what I get, what I yeah. see, what I consume. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like a video game, but it does have game design elements built into it. The, the people who design these social media apps, by the way, would tell you just as much. And so if you find Instagram or mm-hmm. Twitter or whatever it is addictive, you're actually experiencing something very similar to yeah. you know a teenager who is playing Fortnite and again, is addicted by this gameplay feedback loop of what, what will I win at the end? What new skins mm-hmm. will I be able to get? Um, what new experiences can I have? You know, maybe I'll land in this place or that place. It, yep. It's the exact same feedback loop at work. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. So as a, a pastor, as a theologian, um, could you just offer some some biblical and theological reflection for us about what video games have to offer uh, that is so appealing to teenagers and young, and young adults? Yeah, you know, I, I think it goes back to some of the things I, I said earlier. Um, and it's one of the critiques, by the way, you know, people will say you shouldn't play video games because, uh, you are directing your energy, uh, that would otherwise be directed towards productivity, mastering something useful for the world. Mm -hmm. And you're directing it towards something useless, or you're taking the natural human drive towards adventure and creation. I mean, again, when you go back to Genesis one and two, and you look at how God made this world and the place he Mm -hmm. put humans in. You know, God designs Adam to not just uh, care for the garden, but to expand the garden. There's yeah. this possibility of adventure outside of the garden because it has not been fully formed. And God's left it up to mm-hmm. the humans to spread the boundaries of Eden until it encompasses the whole earth. And so I think there's a, there's, there's a rightness to that critique, which is yeah. when video games become addictive, it, it's often taking that, that deep desire to be a sub-creator and it's deploying mm-hmm. it in a way that is wasteful. But 
as I would say of any uh, form of recreation, that's a temptation you can have yeah. with absolutely anything yeah. that you're engaged with. We can read yeah. too much. We can watch sports too much. We can shop too much. There's, there's so many different yeah. ways that we uh, do these same things. Uh, but, but I would also push back and say that it's not a waste to, to, to master a video game. Um, and again, this goes back to what I, what I said earlier. Part of the fun of any game is the possibility of mastery. Why I like playing a game like Spades, especially if you're playing with a partner that you play a lot with, is you learn mm-hmm. how to play with that partner. You learn how they make their their bets. And, and there's a strategy. You're counting cards and you're trying to figure out how many different uh, things are left on the table. And the possibility right. of mastery is part of what makes the game fun. And the same thing goes for video games, even though they are in many ways much more complex than those games. But I think the other half of this, again, goes back to recreation. Um, recreation isn't just about rest. It's not just about, you know, I take a, a long nap. Of course, it, it can include that. I think recreation, like I said earlier, is a time of recreation. It's where we honor the fecundity you know, of, of God's creation. He's made this yeah. world and we use our God-given minds and bodies to draw out these hitherto unimagined worlds and possibilities. And we get to do that inside of video games. In fact, we do it in video games in a way that is, in some senses, more creative than we do when we're watching a great movie or a TV show because of that interactive feedback loop. What I do actually has an impact on this digital world in a way that, again, you won't experience if you're watching a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, um, yeah, there is definitely still that sense. Uh, Sometimes I even hear among uh, fellow youth workers, uh, of video games just being a waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do wonder how much the, the COVID pandemic uh, actually helped give youth workers and parents a renewed appreciation mm. for, for video games and the ways that it can bring, bring people together, right? Like when, when you and I were growing up, um, if I want to play a video game with you, I would have to be in the same room and we would have to like, <laughs> You have a land party. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have the remotes and you have to sit a certain distance away from the television and, or you get the really long cords or, you know, now it's kids are playing video games with their friends constantly and they're making friends from literally around the world. Um, and they might not know each other's real names, but they know each other's gamer names and they have actual relationships with people from yeah. from around the world who they're they're in squads and they play like this is something legitimate um and i i i do think there's something meaningful about that beyond just like the the actual artfulness and and mastery and everything um can you talk a little bit maybe about the the community of video games right like what's what's that all about yeah, I, I I think that you know if if we can talk about art on one side and, th- and that's its own yeah. separate conversation of God made us to be creators and, and yeah. we can enjoy the goodness of His creation. On the other side, we we have a maybe more missional or evangelistic uh, orientation towards video games, which says uh-huh. that if Jesus has called us to you know go out into the world and make disciples, um, there really are no limits that we place on that and. Throughout missionary history, we have missionaries going into places that many people mm-hmm. thought were too seedy, too dark, um, too far away, um, and that it was a waste of time. And, and yet, through their labors, people came to know Jesus. And I know a tremendous amount of online streamers and gamers that are using video games right now to lead people to Christ. 
I mean, I could tell story after story. I think about one guy's name's a TV preacher guy, and he plays a number of uh, first person co-op shooter games online. And uh, throughout it, though, he's talking to people in his chat and he's talking to atheists. You're asking him, why do you believe in God? He's talking to people who've never prayed before. How do I pray? He's talking to people who say, I, I want to believe in Jesus, but I've done too many bad things and I just feel a deep sense of shame. And he's ministering to them. He's having conversations yeah. with them and people's lives are being transformed. And what's wild is that these people, they continue to come back to his streams. It's not just a, a, a one-off hit of I had a conversation one time. He's continuing to engage with them over time and use his digital platform to disciple them. But it's not just for the streamers. Um, you'll see this for people who are playing video games on a regular basis inside of any sort of community. So I, I've played some you know, massive multiplayer online games. And if you do that, you'll start building some friendships with people mm -hmm. that you start playing with on a regular basis. And I, I remember uh, one friendship I had in particular with um, a trans man in Australia. And he played as a woman on his uh, on his accounts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was lots. I, I, I honestly don't even know what his biological born gender was. Um, but he knew I was a pastor and uh, we shared a passion for this video game. And our friendship mm -hmm. starts by talking about our interest in the video game and dialoguing about what was happening in there. But slowly over time, he started asking me for my perspective on his life and uh, on faith and what it would be like for him to follow someone like Jesus. And this was just in Discord channels and we're chatting yeah. back and forth or we're going on a mission. We're just having a conversation. And, and I, I sincerely think, because he told me this, I was one of the first Christians he'd ever met that that made him think there's a possibility that I could follow Jesus. Because to his mind, especially in Australia, wow. which is a way more de-Christianized yeah. environment yeah. than our own, he'd only met Christians that were antagonistic towards him. Mm -hmm. uh, now, again, he might have experienced me as an antagonistic Christian in real life if, if our only interactions were about the hot topics. But because we had this shared passion, yeah. uh, we were able to, to go forward. I mean, I think it's what C.S. Lewis, by the way, says about friendship, you know. Friendship isn't about looking the lover in the eyes. It's about being side by side with someone. And video games yeah. give you that side by sideness. We don't have to talk about the big stuff all the time, but because we're shoulder to shoulder and this shared passion, there's an opportunity to do that. And again, anybody can understand this. If you love playing pickup basketball at the local community center and a lot of the people you play with aren't Christians, you understand, you no, know, 90% of the time we're just playing basketball, but there is that 10% where God can do big things. And it's no different with video games. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... So for youth workers who are interested in um, coming alongside their, their students who are, you know, real big gamers or maybe their students in the ministry, likely, mm -hmm. um, who aren't super social and youth group is often like a high extroverted place. <laughs> Experience. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. So like uh, the, the kids who love active games and dodgeball and, are not often the gamers. Uh, the gamers are often like, yeah, no, like I'm not doing that. Right. So if, if you want to try to minister to the kids who don't really feel drawn <laughs> to youth group culture, shall we say, um, yeah. what are some best practices maybe for engaging those students? Um, yeah. Like how do you draw proper boundaries? Like what, what general recommendations do you have? For that. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of my own uh, <laughs> kind of missional theology has been shaped uh, largely by Young Life. That was a ministry that played a major role in me becoming mm -hmm. a Christian. And one of the principles that I was taught when I became a Young Life leader uh, was that you, you don't uh, invite students to come into your house. You go to wherever they are and you build relationships. And once the relationship is strong enough, you use that as an avenue to 
invite them to a young life club. Maybe eventually they'll go to camp. Mm-hmm. We'll take those next steps. And uh, so when you did that, it was called contact work. You know, you'd go yep. and you'd sit at the the lunch table and you'd have a conversation and it's awkward and it's hard and it's embarrassing and most people hated doing it. But if you put the work in on the contact work, God was almost always faithful to show up and help those students mm-hmm. come to know Jesus. And I think the same thing can apply with video games. If you're willing to do the contact work, which means, hey, you're playing yeah. video games tonight. Can I hop on with you and, and play around? And you might be terrible at video games, and but you might be surprised because that gives the student the opportunity to be your teacher, to, right. to, to be the yeah. one who shows you how to master this new technique. And if you're laughing at yourself and you're not taking yourself seriously, you're actually giving a wonderful picture of the humility and meekness mm-hmm. of Jesus. Here's this guy who's willing to just embarrass himself in front of me just to have a relationship with me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one way we do it. Another way, you know, we've done it in our churches is, you know, we, we've, we've put video game consoles inside of our youth areas. And our goal in the midst of that is not that, you know, kids are playing video games while we're giving, you know, Sunday morning talks or mm-hmm. small groups or anything like that. But to your point, for the kid who doesn't want to go play dodgeball or who's going to be horrified, you know, if he's asked to pick up a football, which would have been me, by the way, when, when yeah. I was in middle school, um, they can sit down and play Super Smash Brothers and be the best. Right. And they can feel like I fit in and they can have fun with a group of people and they can have fun with their leader. And and again, it's just a way of being side by side, building a relationship Mm -hmm. around a shared interest and a shared passion so that you have an avenue to share about Jesus with that uh, kid in in their life. And so I don't think we need to be afraid of video games inside of youth group culture. By the way, let's just name this. As many kids are as addicted to, you know, these massive multiplayer online games, you've got just as many kids who are addicted to ESPN and sports. You've got just as many kids whose parents are addicted mm-hmm. to it and they're taking them away from church every Sunday because they're in the youth sports cult culture. Yeah. Um, Big time. These issues, do, it's, it's, it's not as though this is the one bad one that you're really risking it. Yeah. Now, again, I, I think as a responsible discipler, if you have a kid that is clearly addicted to games, um, build a relationship, disciple them help them to want to love Jesus more than they love video games. And they might have to break that addiction. And you can be the one who's walking alongside them to help them do that. But rarely in my experience, this ministry start with, I, you've got a problem, I'm going to fix it and then bring you to Jesus. It's always the other way around. You need to meet Jesus mm-hmm. and then we can start talking about the problems in your life. Yeah, that's good. So you you mentioned um, a, a few minutes ago, a, a few people who you think are doing this really well. Uh, could you just maybe share a few um, a few people who you'd recommend us to kind of check out? Or maybe if I have uh, a kid, I have a, a, my 16-year-old son is a, a big gamer. Uh, are, are there people who you would recommend them to follow maybe on, on Twitch or Discord or YouTube or wherever else? Um, yeah. And maybe other ministry resources uh, who provide good counsel and guidelines on this stuff. Yeah, I, I think a great one-stop website is Love Thy Nerd. So you can search yeah. for that. And uh, there's a huge number of gamers that are connected to that network that mm-hmm. you can find if you just go there. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of great gaming podcasts that often have associated Twitch streams. So like the Reformed Gamer, um, there's the guy I already mentioned, TV Preacher Guy. Uh, a guy named John Rush, W. Key Rush. We can link to these. It's kind of hard to remember them uh, yep. in your head. But Love Thy Nerd is a great place to to start. You know, one thing I would say to the point of how do you engage with gaming culture? Um, again, there's a massive difference between games that are uh, based in these addictive feedback loops and games that are trying to, um, in a fun, immersive, uh, gamey way, explore deep themes. And so one thing I would also encourage people to do 
is maybe rather than saying, let's play your game, you know, what if you found a great game that you could have an interesting dialogue about that is exploring some themes that uh, connect to the gospel? In other words, it's kind of like, hey, let's watch this movie and let's have a dialogue afterwards. It can be the exact same thing with video games and and pulling kids out of those uh, feedback loop type games and helping them to engage with more substantive, artful gaming experiences. Um, if they like it, it might actually be okay. part of what breaks them out of some of those addictions. And so, again, you go to a website like Love the Nerd. Yeah. They've got all kinds of game reviews. You could find great games uh, that they're recommending. Or you could just, you know, look at the Game of the Year award winners and just use that. Hey, this game won Game of the Year. Let, let's let's go play this and have a conversation around yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, are there any sort of certain games that you think really like th- these are ripe for good ministry engagement uh and are there other types of games that you think like this is probably something to be avoided yeah you know i I think if what you're looking is for the more communal aspect um games we've already discussed i mean kids are loving playing games like uh fortnite uh you've got games like super smash brothers that you can play you know in person um pick up the games that they're already picking up that are already Mm -hmm. communal in nature so i think that's a fantastic place to start um, I, I think moving beyond that into more uh, story-based games, games that explore deep themes, yeah. a lot of that's going to be determined by the maturity and the ish, and yeah. the interests and issues that uh, that particular kid is facing, not to mention what uh, technology they have. So that's a right. little bit harder <laughs> to, to start giving yeah. recommendations on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you just Google, you know, best games of all time, you're actually going to get some great recommendations yeah. on on great artful games. Um, one of my favorites, although it's old now, but sometimes that can be appealing. Like, hey, let's go play this old game that you know everybody says is the best of all time. Is a game called The Last of Us, um, and it is exploring themes around uh, loneliness, loss, um, uh, around uh, love and commitment and tragedy and trauma. Um, a lot of the things that teenagers deal with in their day to day lives. And one of the characters is actually a, a teenage girl, which is very unusual in yeah. gaming uh and there, it's ripe for discussion and dialogue um so, so that's one particular game recommendation but mm-hmm. there's there's lots of others that you could go uh, check out and again maybe it's just you going on to one of these podcasts yeah. and you know finding them talking about an interesting game like gosh that'd be a great one to discuss i i want to mm-hmm. do that game yeah oh, that's good that's good i like that um so uh last question before we kind of start wrapping things up is uh, probably the the big the big question, right, is when you have students who are um, really just enamored with virtual life. Um, I, I know I've had a number of students over the years um, who have just flat out told me that they prefer virtual world over the real world. Um, even um, you know, like Ready Player One. Right. I mean, if anyone's yeah. read that book or or watched that movie, right? And it's like just this I love the virtual worlds because the real world is terrible and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um when we have students like that, how do we how do we pastor them? How do we respond? Um, because that comes from a real deep and complicated place that you do not want to minimize nor do you want to feed and enable right so so how do we how do we engage that conversation um keeping in mind a lot of that has to do with the level of trust you have right with that student and the type of relationship you have with it 
So you can kind of keep in mind different if it's a kid who you don't really know very well versus if it's a kid who you do know well. But how do you approach those different types of conversations? Yeah, I, I think it's always important to separate the root from the fruit. Um, yeah. When you see a, a student who is, like you said, enamored and immersed in digital worlds, uh, chances are it's not because they found the digital world itself so appealing that they have no interest in real analog life. It's far more likely that there are deep hurts, deep pains that they're wrestling with, and that's a way of coping with the hurt that they have. Um, and so sometimes if, if this is new, it's helpful to analogize it. You know, how would you deal with a student who was having a severe alcohol addiction or a severe pornography addiction or I mean you, you could go through and, and, and again some of these things are going to require some really serious intervention but it's probably not just you by yourself it's probably parents and other people um so so those are helpful categories to think through um but I think going beyond that it's if you can build a relationship and help the student to uncover the real reasons why they're uh giving in to that digital addiction um then you can start talking about the root issue and when you're talking about the root issue, uh, it's not as though the, 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 the fruit of it, the symptom of it is going to go away automatically, mm -hmm. but now you've actually got a fighting chance. Um, yeah. One other analogy I, I think that can be helpful with this is, is social anxiety, because I do think for a lot of students that are immersed yeah. in these digital worlds, um, it's yeah. because they're deeply, deeply anxious about being with people. And the first thing I would say is, you know, let's have some sympathy. You know, most of these students lived through the COVID pandemic. They spent at least a year, in some cases longer, depending on where you're at in the country, totally isolated from people, forced by adults to live mm -hmm. an entirely digital existence for their safety. And that, I, I really do believe, has caused a tremendous amount yeah. of psychological trauma. Um, and, and at the very period, the very time in which they're supposed to be developing the social skills that are going to serve them well for the rest of their life, which... It's painful, right? It's navigating friendships. It's navigating mm -hmm. crushes. It's navigating, you know, this person likes me and they don't. No. Well, they, they didn't experience that. Or if they did, they probably experienced it in a very toxic, you know, online bullying type way. And so I, if we can have a lot of sympathy and patience and, and have long uh, um, runways towards healing as opposed to, you know, immediate requests for, for change, I think that goes yeah. a long way. But again, my, my, my number one thing would be if you just go after the video games as the problem, that's fine. I mean, maybe they'll drop the video games, but I assure you they'll pick up something just as bad or maybe even worse if we're not dealing with the root problem. And of course, at the end of the day, bringing that to Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work of wholeness and healing in their life. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, yeah, the, the, the root and the fruit is, yeah, that, that is a good, um, that's always a good paradigm. I, I think one of the, one of the common roots that I've seen um, and, and navigated with students has to do with loneliness. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm going to say this and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. My, my hunch is I, I think that loneliness is elevated in geek culture than it is in like jock culture. Mm -hmm. do, do you agree with that? It, or, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, when I think about jock culture, uh, you know, especially in, you know, high school age, um, oftentimes popularity, likability, uh, is associated with people's ability to perform well, especially for young men. Yeah. 
uh, on the basketball court or the football field or soccer or whatever the yeah. particular sport of choice yeah. is. Um, and I think beyond that, if it's a team sport, it, you're, you're already ingrained in some social dynamics that force you to build in-person relationships and deal with in-person dynamics. So there's yeah. a lot of things that I, I think make sports culture more communal um, right. and social than gaming culture yeah. uh, is. Um, but I, I, again, I, I think I, I don't know to what degree loneliness is celebrated by gaming culture. I think it might just simply be a fact that many yeah. people. Yeah, I'm not saying celebrated. Yeah, I think yeah. people who are lonely are, are drawn to video games. I mean, remember where I started? You said, like, yeah. hey, what, what were some of the video games that really shaped you? Um, well, one, one that had a big impact on me was precisely at a time in my life where I felt terribly lonely. I felt terribly mm-hmm. alone. And part of the appeal of that game was it was the story of a group of friends. And yep. so you can imagine someone 30 years, you know, my senior, uh, reading a novel about a group of friends and having a similar experience and escaping into the dream world of books. Uh, because that was the one place where they could feel connected and cared for. Um, but I, I will say this, I, I really do believe that actual in-person analog community, when it's done well, is intoxicating in its own right. Mm-hmm. And so the more we can do to uh, draw those students into in-person relationships, and it might be small groups of people, it might yeah. be centered on this one shared thing, hey, we're going to play video games together. But the more that they experience mm-hmm. healthy in-person relationships, the more they're going to want those yeah. relationships and the where they're going to yeah. pursue those relationships. This is like a classic advice to give to anyone who's battling with depression in their life is everything inside of you is telling you to isolate yourself, to say no to the invitation, to be alone. And you have to resist that. And so we, you know, there, there is an element of like equipping and discipling students to say, Hey, mm-hmm. there's part of you that's telling you, you shouldn't come. You can't be here. You don't want to be here. I promise if you deny that part of yourself, you're going to be really thankful by the end of the night. Yeah. And of course they yeah. are, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you're around people, I mean, what, what, what's better than that? Um, yeah. It's, it, it's intoxicating in its own right. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and, I, and I guess that's what I'm, yeah, that's a helpful way of, of, of putting it because I guess my, my hunch is not video games feed loneliness, but I, I think an increasing number of students today go to video games in order to alleviate their loneliness. Yeah. Because if I can't find people who I can bond with and who really get me uh, in my school, maybe I can find them mm-hmm. on the server. And oftentimes they do. Yeah. And, and so I don't think it's a, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying this in, in a way that is, is blaming um, video games. And I, I've been called a geek. <laughs> my own time so so this is not a, a jock coming at gamers or, or anything it, it's more just thinking through uh how do we help students to really lean into uh relationships and if if yeah. kids are really consumed by games um yeah a, a lot of times the the root of that is is a hunger for relationships um and genuine connection and a lot of times they feel that easier and quicker when mediated through a gaming console um but as much as you're able to draw them into embodied relationship yeah. uh, I, I think that really would would be the way to yeah. go as much as well, you're able. And, and i think part of this goes back to what you said earlier just about uh youth ministry culture and it's different yeah. church to church yeah. place to place so i don't want to paint with too broad a brush yeah um, I, I didn't grow up in the church, but I, I went to lots of different youth events. I think like probably mm-hmm. any millennial did like sounds like they're doing something cool <laughs> at the church. I guess I'll go yeah. do that. 
And um, by and large, the activities that happened inside of you know that that youth ministry culture were yeah. not geared for someone like me. No, um, no, I. I you know, I, I was not, I was not an introvert in the sense that, you know, I, I was, I was happy being around people. I wasn't afraid to talk to people mm-hmm. because I didn't have maybe some of the social anxieties, but just in terms of like, did I want to sit in a gym and play dodgeball and get pelted and have people make fun of me? Cause I can't throw the ball as hard as, you know, the quarterback. Well, no, that, that wasn't super fun right. in my mind. I well, got over I it because I wanted to that. be around, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be around people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, part of this is just asking, like, "Hey, are we designing our our youth ministries yeah. uh, in a way that is uh, replicating the liturgies of uh, the high school and the middle school, and it's you mm-hmm. know kind of glorifying the same kind of personalities and people?" Yeah. And again, this is this is young life, right? Like one of young life's yeah. kind of main mantras was, "If you reach the cool kids, if you reach the the kids that everybody likes, and everybody else is going to come." And I think there's a value to a ministry like that. But you you know what? The nerds aren't going to come. Uh, the outsiders aren't going to come because they probably don't like that kid and they probably identify themselves in opposition to that kid, you know? And so, so there's, yeah. there has to be places to reach all different kinds of people right. inside of our youth ministries. Yeah. Well, and who did, who were the apostles, right? I mean, the, the <laughs> apostles were not the job the, when you look at the, the disciples who Jesus called by and large, they would have been the social outcast. They would have been kind of the more geeky, nerdy type of. The, not the power, the cultural power brokers in, yeah, in the high schools. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Hey, as, as we wrap up, any final recommendations or encouragements for, for youth workers who are listening? And I also want to say any encouragements or recommendations uh, regarding parents, right? Yeah. So I know that's a whole, that could be a whole other conversation. Um, but just kind of final recommendations for youth workers and parents uh, yeah. whose kids are, are big gamers. I, I would, I'll, I'll, we've obviously talked a lot about youth workers and I think this applies to both youth workers and parents, but, but especially for parents, um, when your child is showing an interest in something that you fear is, uh, dangerous or subversive, um, there's a lot of different ways to respond. And sometimes the right response is to, you know, uh, say, no, this, this is not for you. But I think about, uh, the story of, uh, the Nahanga artist, Japanese artist named Makuta Fujimura, who is a, a Christian, went to Tim Keller's church, uh, theologian, brilliant, brilliant man. And he tells the story of his son, CJ, who never quite felt at place in church. And he transgressed some rules. And he, you know, Fujimura says there was times where he thought he'd lost his son. Uh, but his son was also incredibly interested in um, R&B and hip hop and rap. And he made the choice not to ban his son from listening to what was admittedly explicit dark music. Instead, he simply made a rule. If you're going to listen to it, I'm going to listen to it too. And we're going to talk about it and we're going to engage with it together. And this was a rule he only made for that time. With my other kids, yeah. there were higher boundary walls set up, but he felt yeah. like that was the right call with this particular yeah. kid. And that gave them the opportunity not just to discuss what they were hearing, but to build a relationship around what they were hearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not saying there's always happy endings, but his son is still walking with Jesus. And he says he thinks it's in large part because rather than trying to keep the, the, the sheep penned up inside the fence, he opened the gate and walked with the sheep outside the fence into the big, yeah. scary world with all the big, scary things. And I think if more parents had kids that were gaming said, hey, can I game with you? Can I sit alongside you? Can you help me understand what you're doing? 
their right. kid might at first be like, no, I don't want that. Get away from me. I'm not interested. But I, I think yeah. deep down they, they are interested and they do want to build a relationship and you can have shared experiences around it the same way that, you know, a dad watching a football game with his son is going to have shared experiences mm-hmm. around it. So that'd be my biggest encouragement is tr- try to enter into that world. Try to yeah. game alongside them, have fun with them. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised by what God does through that. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I'm so bad at Fortnite. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just terrible. Um, but I, I play with my son and with his friends and yeah, I just want to corroborate. Like it, it does, it, it communicates love and care to your kids. Uh, and you also get to know your kids' friends because you're yeah. probably going to be in a squad together. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it, it does open up meaningful parental conversations uh beyond being a, a youth pastor directly too wow. so yeah that's great. anyway patrick uh thanks for thanks for your ministry um thank you for your resources uh for advocating uh positively in, in the in the gaming world for christ and um are, are there any other uh websites or books or uh other resources that you would want to point our listeners to before we close out yeah, I mean, if people want to follow up with some of our work, probably the best place to do that is on our podcast, Truth Over Tribe. Uh, we do cultural commentary, cultural apologetics. Um, and so <laughs> video games are not a topic that we discuss uh, frequently, but every now and then they make their way into our podcast dialogues. Uh, but we are wrestling with these kinds of broad cultural issues. And I think video games fall squarely into the middle of that. So if you're interested, Truth Over Tribe, you can get it on any major podcast uh, carrier. Awesome. Go check it out. Uh, Patrick, thanks again for joining. And listeners, thanks for joining this conversation about uh, youth ministry and video games and how do we engage those together for the name of Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com. And you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian. Mm -hmm.